Turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. We're going to be spending some time there this morning. And yes, again, I know that Pastor John is preaching through the book of Acts. Somebody reminded me he's preaching through the book of Isaiah. And I understand that. I want to tell you the source of this message. I want you to tell you what happened. God just put it, burned it on my heart. Back when I was praying about what to preach, Brother Ronnie had asked me to preach at the men's retreat, and I was praying about it, and this message was really the first one that I thought I was supposed to preach. But God changed all that and had me preach another vo uh, 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 message on voices. And I, don't, I, I think God used that. I think that's what he wanted me to preach. But I'm, not, I'm as certain today that this is what I'm supposed to preach today. I don't know who you imitate. <clears throat> uh, you're an imitator of somebody. You say, wait a minute. Now, I'm an original. Well, no, you're not. I mean, as a matter of fact, uh, you know, how many of you heard it? Boy, you're just like your mama. <laughs> and some that's a compliment, some it's not. Uh, no, it's a compliment. How many of you just like your daddy? Anybody heard that? Just like your daddy? You know, um, we can't help it. Matter of fact, I used to pull a prank on my mother. You see, I'm the next to the youngest in my family. There are five in our family. At one time, there were five teenagers. You figure that one out. And so I'm the next to the youngest. But I say I'm the most balanced because I have two sisters and two brothers. But I will also tell you this, as a fourth child of a family of five with a baby and an older brother, I was the most forgotten. You understand what I'm saying? I was like, a, oh, Dave, oh, oh, that's David? Oh, that's your name? Okay, yeah. That's kind of how it was in my family. It is okay. I, I, I came along pretty good. I did, you know. Um, but families have some strange things they do. Now, you understand with five teenagers in the, in the house, none of us just kept case. We're all pretty much the same. You see me, same thing. But I used to pr pull a prank on my mom on the phone. I, my brothers taught me how to talk. You under, I can blame them for that. But I sound just like my brother John. And so when I'd call, my mom couldn't even recognize it. Isn't that sad? That's why I told you I was totally ignored my whole life. But anyway, so I would call and act like I was John and get him in trouble. That was pretty good, wasn't it? Okay? And I enjoyed doing that, you know, until he caught a hold of me, and then it got, wasn't too good. But, uh, so five of us kids, but we always had friends in the house. As a matter of fact, my dad was a preacher, grew up in the PK, I'm a PK, um, yeah, and that's another reason why some of you wonder what's going on with me. But we had five teenagers, and it seemed like on Saturday night, one of us, or more of us, had a friend spend the night. My dad had a, had a, law, a rule. It's almost a law of the Medes and Persians. You don't come in after 11 o'clock. Number one, he didn't want to be awakened. And you don't want to awaken him. Because it could be bad. So after we had 11 o'clock curfew. I mean, until I left the house. Didn't matter what, after I came home from college. I said, Dad, what time I got to be home? He said, what's the curfew? I said, you're kidding. He said, no, I'm not kidding. I've slept on the porch a couple times. Because he'd come in and lock that door where I couldn't get in, and I'd slip on the porch at 11 o'clock, 11 o'clock. Well, my friends knew that, and so they'd say, well, David, we're not done. Well, let's go to the house. We'd go to the house, and my dad'd stay up to 3 in the morning with us, but we could not be outside the house after 11 o'clock. So on Saturday night, we had a lot of teenagers come over and spend the night, and the rule was, we told them the rule, if you come on Saturday night and spend the night, guess where you got to go? 
Got to go to church the next day. Now, some of them liked it, some didn't. But they all went because Dad's rule was Medes and the Persians. You do that, what he said. So we said, Dad's rule is if you spend the night, and of course they want to spend the night. My mom and dad literally would come in the living room sometimes, step over bodies, trying to get to the kitchen for the coffee. You know what I'm saying? We just had kids all the time. Well, we had a way of introducing our friends to our family. We called, they met the Green family. Now, I don't, how many of you, your last name's Green? Don't take this personal, okay? I thought I might offend somebody. But that what we called them the Green family. What was, we would assemble ourselves in our living room. Everyone sit on couches and chairs, and they, they would kind of be in the center point of the room, and we mimicked them. We imitated them. If they said something, if they made a hand motion, we'd all make the hand motion. Now, can you imagine five kids and their friends making him, introducing them to our family. He said, boy, that's mean, wasn't it? It broke the ice. They got to know us, and it was a lot of fun. But the imitation, how many of you ever imitated someone and aggravated them? Okay. Do it with your grandkids. I love doing that with my grandkids. They say, Papa D, what are you doing? Papa D, what are you doing? You know, I, I, I'd mimic them. But, you know, we're really imitators. Think about it. And I, I hate to say this, that's the whole premise of Instagram. It really is. Somebody have a million followers, what they have is a million imitators. Really. I mean, when you think about it, Instagram is where somebody who thinks they're somebody posts about themselves, and everybody who thinks they're a nobody follows a somebody and wants to mimic them. You say, David, I've never thought of it that way. Well, just think about it. That's kind of what's, that's how I, Instagram, that's the whole basis of Instagram. Uh, as a matter of fact, you know, imitation is something that we we do all the time. I mean, there, if I hang around with somebody a long time, how many of you have had a, I remember as a kid, I used to imitate preachers, being a preacher kid. Uh, we had a, a vehicle that all of us rode in. It was actually a camper shell on a pickup truck with benches in the back. And uh, I remember one time I was back there preaching like a evangelist we had in our church. I mean, I was... I'll tell you what I mean. I mean, if you had a preacher like that, you know. And, uh, and he always said, he's from Oklahoma, he's an Indian, and he'd say, little children. And I would get down, little children. I'm telling you, I preach. And my sisters got saved. Boy, we had a wonderful time. <laughs> and he walked up to the back of the door. Boy, I wanted to, there was no hole in the ground I could climb into. I was in the truck. But he said, you know what he said? He said, bless my heart to know that you listen so closely. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, well, anyway, let me say this. We're around somebody, and, you know, I even find myself, if I'm going to go somewhere and hear someone preach, I kind of pick up a little, you know, something they do kind of thing. We imitate all the time. As a matter of fact, there's some quotes I want to read you. Imitation is the highest form of flattery. It really is. Uh, acquiring knowledge is a form of imitation. And here's another quote, though, uh, through others, we become ourselves. In other words, we really learn a lot about ourselves by learning more about others. And uh, when people are free to do as they please, they usually imitate each other. The truth is, we have such a, a, a pattern of imitation that that's the way we function a lot of times. As a matter of fact, Paul said in, in uh, 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 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he said, Be ye followers or imitators of me, even as I am also of Christ. The New King James Version says, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. You understand that when we imitate those we spend much time with. You know, I, uh, we, we also imitate those who we admire. 
and uh, we, we imitate those who are closest to us that have access, access to, that we have access to. Let me say this. When you imitate somebody, that's not always a bad thing. But let me say this also, when you imitate somebody that is bad, that is a bad thing. But what I'm saying to you is you are a, you are a product, and I am a product of who I spend time with, who I admire, who I give access to, and I become who I imitate. Now, here's the setting for the passage. We're in, I ask you to turn to Acts chapter 4, and before I read the passage, let's have a word of prayer. Can we pray together? Father, thank you so much for this service. God, your Holy Spirit is here. I just love Brother Johnny Wood who comes down and just worships in front of us. What a wonderful model of worship. I love this man. God, thank you. Thank you for him. God, thank you that you're here. Brother Troy led us in wonderful spirit-filled worship. Father, may you also, Holy Spirit, come into this time now as we study your word. Help us, God, to be open and receptive to what you have to say today in Christ's name. I pray. Amen. Here's the setting. In Acts chapter 2, remember, we have the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has just come. And in, and in uh, Acts chapter 3, Peter and John um, performed the absolute first apostolic miracle. And you know what they did? They healed a lame man. This man, we find out later in the passage, was 40 years old, had been lame his whole life. Now, let me say that something to you. How many of you would love to see a lame man healed? Well, let me tell you something. Those people there were just as excited. As a matter of fact, you'll find that in, that, in the first, um, uh, first uh, uh, verses of that, that there is a, there's a wonderful classic verse in verse 6. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now let me tell you something. That is a classic verse that you ought to remember because we don't have anything for anybody except Jesus. Now, we can give our silver and gold to somebody, but what he needed was more than silver and gold. What we have is more valuable than silver and gold. And John, uh, Peter and John knew it, and he said, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, lifted him up, verse 7, and immediately his feet and ankles received strength. Let me tell you something. That's a wonderful miracle, and that happened in, in uh, the first thing that happened there. And then, in, then next, in, in chapters 12, uh, verses 12 through t uh, 26 of chapter 3, Peter preached Christ to the crowd. Now, let me tell you something. Peter was a bold, brash fella, okay? As a matter of fact, he's the kind of guy that would talk and then engage his brain, okay? Some of you like that. I mean, sometimes, have you ever caught yourself saying something and you were grabbing for the words? Well, let me say this. Some of you have spoken to me and you should have done that, okay? <laughs> because quite frankly, we don't always think before we speak. Well, Peter here absolutely spoke with the power of God on his life. I mean, he preaches uh, the Word of God, and he's, and I'm not going to go through all that, but verses 12 through 26 has that, but if you'll notice, he is preaching the Word of God, and there's a classic verse in verse 19. I love this verse, and you need to know this verse. Verse 19 says, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Let me tell you something. The only time refreshment comes is when God's involved. You really can't be refreshed 
apart from the Spirit of God. Because, you know, we can go on vacation. We see some beautiful things, and I encourage you to go on vacation. But let me tell you something. There is a spiritualness that needs to happen for true refreshment. That level of spirit has to be refreshed. And God's Holy Spirit does. He said, and the way to do that is to repent. And when we repent, God refreshes our spirit. And bless, uh, believe me, we have things to be repenting. So that's a wonderful classic verse. But then guess what? As soon as they preach a wonderful message, I'm telling you what, guess who shows up? In verses 1 through 3, they're arrested. This is the first persecution. So we see the first miracle. We hear Peter's second sermon, and we see the first persecution. Because when they spake, and as they spake, the... Folks got grieved. The Sadducees do not believe in a resurrection. That's why they're sad, you see. And, and Peter was preaching about the resurrection that had only happened a few months earlier. It hadn't been that long. And he was preaching how, what that meant. By the way, we don't serve a dead God. We don't serve a Jesus that's still in the tomb. I'm so glad that he can offer me eternal life, and I know that I have eternal life because Jesus has it, and he's an he's a originator of it. He's not an imitator of it. He was really resurrected from the grave. Praise Jesus for eternal life. And they got arrested. Oh, by the way, while they're in prison, read verse 4, albeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of men, men. Now, please, ladies, don't take that as offense, okay? Men are easier to count. Because they're not so busy. And ladies say, oh, that's for sure. He's in his recliner all the time. But anyway, <laughs> they counted the men, and the women and children were extra. But how many people got saved right there? Tell me. 5,000. Wouldn't you love to see that? I mean, I mean, what would we do here in Hillcrest Baptist Church if we had in one day, one message, 5,000 people saved? I'm telling you, but they're in persecution. And they were, while they were in prison, I mean, the word continued to do its work. You know what happens? I love this. Whenever I preach or teach, somebody comes to and says, boy, you remember preaching on that? I said, no. You remember preaching on that? I said, no. I preached this. Well, but this is, the Holy Spirit did a work in their life, totally separate of what I was preaching, and it went on and did the work. I call it the marinating Holy Spirit. It marinates in the hearts of people. God continues to do his work, even though I didn't intend for that, that to be the result. God knows, and that's what happens. I'll tell you what happened. 5,000 people got saved after the Word of God goes forth. Let me tell you, the Word of God is powerful. It's quick and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the bone and marrow, and, and, and knows the intents of the heart. Let me tell you something. God is is powerful, and the Holy Spirit is as well. But then notice verses 5 through 7, the big dogs assembled to, to, to intimidate. You say, big dogs? That's my category for these people. Look at that. And it came to pass on the morning. They put him in overnight. They put him in jail overnight. And, the, and notice the scribes, Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander. Man, they had everybody assembling to talk to these men. And, and that were kindred of the high priest and gathered together in Jerusalem, and they set them in the midst. And they asked one question, by what power or what name have you done this? That's a great question. That's a great question. But now Paul, Peter's not shy at all. Guess what happens? How would he start doing? He's thinking, let me say this. When you have preach in you, when you're a preacher and there's preach in you, 
Anytime there's a gathering of people, we call that a congregation, and we preach. And all Peter did, he went right, he said, okay, round number two. And he went right through and preached the same message. By the way, what other message do we have? But Jesus died, resurrected, and he paid in heaven. He's paid for your sin, debt, and mine. That's the only message we need to know. That's the only message we need to preach. We don't need to preach anything else. And so he addresses the Sanhedrin. And that's 72 people that think they're smart. They think they're smarter than God. They rejected Jesus. How many of you would say they're not real smart? And here's another classic verse in verse 12, and this precedes my text. You say, David, was that? You know, I'm with you. I got it, okay? Neither, boy, I love this verse. You got you to gotta love this verse. Neither their salvation in any other. For there's none other name. You get this? Under heaven, given among men, whereby we, we can be saved. We possibly could be saved. No, the Bible says ye must be saved. You say, David, that's pretty narrow. That's about as narrow as that right there. Let me tell you something. God's word is clear. And I'll tell you what, Peter didn't, didn't flinch. He said, that's the power, that's the source, and that's who you're going to be saved by as well. By the way, we're all saved by the same grace and same love and the same Jesus. Look in verse 13. I love this. Because the title of the message is, who do they see? Look in verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. I'm going to go back to that in a moment. Yeah, I'm going to have some fun with it, okay? They took knowledge of them that they had been. With Jesus. See, when you look at that last phrase, they had been with Jesus, the big dogs all agreed something was different. You see, in verses, they all agreed that there was power and a name that was involved in what was happening. They knew it was not normal, that it was supernatural, that things were happening they could not explain. They, they, they saw that these men had been with someone they recognized that they killed, that resurrected after they killed him. They recognized that. They had left, Jesus had left his influence on their lives. They had become imitators of Jesus to the point that others noticed. Everyone in that intimidating situation agreed that these men had something different. Jesus had accomplished his purpose in coming to earth. They had benefited from accepting his invitation to follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. In Matthew 4:19 and Mark 1:17. Right, I know that because let me tell you, the day they got arrested, 5,000 new fish were caught in the net of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus accomplished his mission. Now that I got three questions for you. Three questions we're going to answer, and I am moving on. Number one, what did they see? We got to know that. 
We got to know what they saw, first of all, because what I want to do, if the big dog saw it, I think everyone should see it. Let me tell you something else. Those 5,000 men that got saved, they saw it. They couldn't explain why they were so different. They couldn't explain why Peter's words were so strong, but they saw it. And notice what they saw. First of all, they saw unbelievable boldness in verses 8 and 13. Let me say this. Timidity, being timid with the gospel. Now, hold on to your horse. Can you, can you snap your seatbelts a little? going to get a little bumpy ride here a little bit. Timidity with the gospel is not God's plan. He wants us to be bold in sharing the gospel. Now, let me say this. I understand that I have to be tender in my approach, but I have to be clear and bold with the message. I don't want my method to outweigh the message and turn someone off. But if the message turns someone off, that's on them. Now, I've come to accept that because I think personally that I'm a pretty likable guy. Okay. <laughs> Denise, can you help me with that? Amen. Thank you. But you know, I have been told to leave someone's house because I was speaking the gospel. Let me tell you something. These men, I bet we'd like Peter and John. I really, I think we would like them. But when they preached the gospel, guess what happened? People didn't like it. But did it stop them? They spent the night. I'm wondering what they talked about during the night, you know, when they were being held. You know what happened? Peter just came right back for round two. And they saw the unbelievable boldness. Let me tell you something. When you're bold, people say, whoa, what's that? And they don't recognize. Here's, here's what you see. They, first of all, you'll find that uh, Peter, verse 8 says, uh, verse 8 of chapter th uh, 4 says, then Peter filled with the Holy Ghost. Let me tell you something. When the Holy Spirit comes in you, you're not you anymore. You're changed. And the Holy Spirit empowers you to be bold. There's a boldness that's unexplainable and unbelievable. I'm glad that that's what God does. Let me say this. That may not be your personality, but that's God's personality. That's the Holy Spirit. That's who Jesus was. That's who the disciples are. When you find out that you're not that, guess what? You're not, in that regard, imitating Jesus. You see what I'm saying? See, what, it, what reminded them the big dogs, that they were, and they saw that they had been with Jesus, one of the things they noticed was a boldness. The reason they saw and recognized the boldness in Peter and John was because Jesus was bold. And if we're going to do anything to this world to change it, whether it's election day or whether it's our church houses, we're going to have to be bold like Jesus was bold so that they see that we are imitators of Jesus. There's a boldness. Number two, there's uncomfortable limitations. How many of you say, David, I'm not bold because I'm just not confident? Not, am I the only one? We say, David, you are bold. Let me tell you something. I'm still not confident about things. I've got little things I, you know, I'm a little unconfident about. Well, let me tell you, 
Let me remind you, these boys, when they grew up in the Jewish community, they were, uh, they were schooled on studying the scriptures until age 13. As a matter of fact, they memorized the whole book of Isaiah and often many parts of the first five books of Pentateuch. That's before they're age 13. Now, at age 13, they have, we call it bar mitzvah, okay? They're coming of age. And what they believed at that point was the smart one, they all had to learn a trade, by the way. Even Paul, who studied under Gamaliel, uh, he was a tent maker, so he had a trade. By the way, trades are a good thing, y'all. I met someone today that's a machinist. Man, what a wonderful trade. I used to do HVAC and sheet metal work. I can do it. I mean, I still, believe it or not, know how to do it. A trade is a wonderful thing. But they would also take the young boys that had a little more kick up here. Of course, I'd be left behind. But anyway, they're a little smarter up here. And they would go on and have rabbinical studies. They'd study under a rabbi. And they would go on and learn even more about spiritual things. Well, it was obvious to these big dogs who were trained like that that these fishermen were fishermen. They had worked their trade their whole life. No more training after age 13. They didn't know their P's and Q's. They probably had poor grammar. You see what I'm saying? And they were, there was uncomfortable limitations. Now, let me tell you what other uncomfortable thing it was. They were way outnumbered. Those two guys against the whole crowd. How many of you feel outnumbered in the world as a Christian? Don't you feel a little limited by that? I mean, really? Well, let me tell you what happened. These young men, they were called unlearned and ignorant. Now, how many of you have ever been called ignorant? Boy, you guys all must be smart because I was called ignorant a lot. As a matter of fact, you know the word ignorant really isn't an insult. All it means is you don't know something. And you know, the problem with people that don't know is they don't know what they don't know. Because if they did know what they didn't, they don't know, they would know what they don't know, so then they would know. Now, don't ask me to say that again. But let me tell you something. I, I'm telling you, we don't know. We may be ignorant, but when you know Jesus, you've got all the power and the name you need to do what God's called you to do. But they were, they were uncomfortable. These big dogs were uncomfortable being shown up, if you will, by two ordinary, unlearned, ignorant fishermen. They had a crowd of people. They had healed a lame man. As a matter of fact, if you'll look in verse, and we'll jump ahead, give you a little, little look here. In verse 14, and beholding the man which was healed standing, now don't miss that word, with them, a lame man standing, they could say nothing against it. They were shown up big time. And it was very uncomfortable. You know, sometimes people are more uncomfortable with my limitations and who I am than I am uncomfortable with my limitations. I think Peter and John recognized their limitations, but they had the power of God on their life, and they, the big dogs, started getting uncomfortable with them and were being shown up. Thirdly, there's an undeniable recognition. They took knowledge. Now, let me tell you what they didn't. They didn't, they didn't have to ask Peter and John what name and what power 
you do these things. They didn't know. They didn't have to because they already knew. They took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. They knew that Peter and John were imitating. They were living their life like Jesus. Paul said, I'm imitating, imitating Christ. Now you imitate me as I imitate Christ. Let me tell you, Peter and John had a front row seat to the life of Jesus, to the relationship with Jesus, and to access to Jesus, and they were imitating Jesus. How do we imitate Christ to others so they can recognize we have been with Jesus? Here's a problem. Would people say that about you? That your imitation, your life, who you are and who you emulate in your life, would they say and would they take knowledge that you have been with Jesus? The truth is, Many of us are getting our imitators, our imitation from originals from somewhere else. The truth is we are so full, so aware, and spend so much time with worldly originals than we do with the original Jesus Christ. But you cannot hide, listen to me, you cannot hide who you're imitating. It becomes a part of you. I can't help that I talk like my brother John. It just happened because I spent so much time with him. You can't help how you walk and talk because it's going to show in how you walk and talk because it's gonna, that's going to reflect on who you pattern your life by. See, my problem with Christians is that we're not spending enough time with Jesus to have an, for him to have an influence, an impact on how we walk. I don't have to guess who you're living after. I don't. You say, David, you're just a man. I know, but I tell you, God gives me a Holy Spirit. I have discernment, and I don't have to guess. Let me tell you this. You have nobody fooled. How do, we, how do we imitate Christ? First of all, be bold for Christ. Be bold enough to change to look like him. Be bold enough to say you live like him. And be bold enough to share so others are like him. Be bold. Let me tell you something. There is a boldness to live differently than the world. When you counter the culture with the way you live with a kind manner, of Jesus Christ, they don't know what to do with it. They say, where did you get this power and where did you get this name? But those of us that are looking around saying, I don't, I look on Instagram and I want to know how somebody else does it. Just think about this. Chip and Joanna Gaines. Did you know I didn't even know what chick country is? I mean, chic country is. I was talking to my daughter. She's decorated her house. Joanna would be so proud. She even hacks the pill in the middle, so it's, you know. I learned something. She's, I said, boy, that chick country looks pretty cool. She said, Dan, it's not chick, it's chic. I said, I thought he's an Arab. 
Now listen to me. We've got to stop mimicking and mocking and imitating the world because they need to see Jesus. Accept your limitations without intimidation. Don't be intimidated when a pointy-head smart person with several degrees passes his name starts talking about what he doesn't know about Jesus, and you do. Don't, don't bat an eye at that. You go right ahead, and listen, you stay with what you know about Jesus. Hey, he died, he resurrected, he, did, he, paid, he paid my sin. And I, before I was once was blind, now I see. I once was lame, now I walk. I once was dead, now I'm alive. Will you just tell that? And people can't argue with that. They're going to say, what, what, by what power and what name? And I know I've got to finish up here. Romans 8, 20, recognition through spending time. You spend time with Jesus, he's going to spend time with you. Draw nigh unto me, and I will draw nigh unto you. Let me tell you something. When you really get close to Jesus, let me tell you, you won't be disappointed. It's more than just salvation and going to heaven. It's deeper than just a, a, a ticket punched for heaven. It's deeper than just fire insurance. It's a quality of life that you cannot measure and you cannot get by imitating this world. How do others notice? You saw the pattern. First they saw. Now that's just on the outside. You know what I'm saying. We should look differently on the outside. You say, wait a minute, I kind of like some of the styles. Okay, you can like them, but don't live them. Really, I mean, I like, uh, is there pleasure? The Bible tells us there's a pleasure in sin for a season. I mean, there are things that appeal to our flesh that we like, but it's not good. So, first of all, they saw that they were different. But then it goes on and said they perceived. I like that word. See, there's a, that's a depth of understanding, a depth, depth of noticing. There's a depth of awareness that goes beyond just seeing the, 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 the countertop, okay? When you look into the cabinet, are the pots and pans in order? Now, Denise Rhodes has them in order. It's only when I put the dishes away that it's not in order. Okay, but anyway, in other words, are you, when there's perception involved, it goes much deeper than just seeing the outside. There is a spirit, you, the Bible talks about try the spirits to see if they're of God. Let me tell you something. There is a spiritual discernment and the, the spiritual awareness. There was a spiritual perception that they made that these two men were different. And unlike them, they had been with Jesus. And they knew it. See, here's what happens. I told you earlier, you can't hide it. You can't. You cannot hide who you're imitating. You can't. It becomes a part of you. First of all, people see it. Now, they may not say it to you because if they did say it, then they have to say, bless your heart. In the South, you can say anything to anybody. Bless your heart. So, first they see it. Then they perceive it. There's a depth there. You know, have you ever met somebody you didn't know them They're from... Adam, you know, I don't know why we use the expression. I hope to know Adam one day when I get to heaven. But anyway, uh, just you don't know them. And all of a sudden, you get a sense that something's not right. You ever met someone like that? I call them getting the eebie-jeebies. I get the eebie-jeebies sometimes around some people. 
I, I, I don't care to be around them if I get that feeling. You know what I'm saying? There's a dishonesty about them. And let me say this. When they see and they perceive, they know. There's no doubt. And I'm going to tell you what, I'm looking at some people here today that I believe you claim to be Christian, but you're no more saved than you are than, than, than anybody. You say, David, that's judgment. Oh, I'm not making that judgment. I'm telling you, people see it, perceive it, and they know it. Let me say this. God knows. You know. Stop playing the game. This is too important. Your eternal life is in line. I'm going to conclude. In these two chapters, we read of one lame man healed to be the first miracle. And five thousand people saved. Don't tell me that God is not in the, the power and blessing dispensing business. Don't tell me that. Don't tell me that he wants churches floundering and people living more like the world than they do like Christ. Don't tell me that. Because I know better. I may be unlearned and ignorant but I know that. I wonder where you stand right now. Who do they see in you?